Hello, and welcome to another Modest Conversation. I'm here with Joe Lonsdale, who's the founding partner of ABC. Joe, great to have you on the program. Thanks, Sam. Um, so what's on your mind? Oh, gosh. Well, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, I think we were just talking about about jobs, and I think everyone says we need to explore universal basic income because they're going away, and I think this is uh, very well-intentioned but very naive, so that might be one area I mean, to Let's address. dive into that. I also have some pretty strong opinions on that one, so that'll be fun. So, yeah, what, what's, uh, what's your take on UBI? Um, well, I think it comes from a very good place. I really like Charles Murray's op-ed in the Wall Street Journal on this, where there's all these very wasteful things we do with the government to try to figure out who deserves to get paid, what benefits, yep. and and it's just a lot of money. It's just from an efficiency perspective, it just completely goes down the tube. Totally. And so, um, am I in favor of clearing out like every single possible government program and then just giving that money equally to a ton of people and even making it slightly higher? Probably not the worst thing you could do for helping the economy and for efficiency overall. And and so that that's not the worst thing ever. But I think I think the people who are worried about artificial intelligence and technology making it so that all the jobs are going to go away and there's going to be no possible way to work for everyone. And I think that's just really wrong and it's really dangerous because I think it's a culture of individual responsibility that, that we need to make the country work. I, I couldn't agree with more with you. Like, So I'm, I'm pretty close with um, the guys who started like Give Directly and I think the idea of UBI mm-hmm. is really cool. There's a lot of good properties to it. But here, I'll, let, me, let me go out on a limb tell me if you think this is crazy. I actually think that the actual narrative around like AI is going to take away all the jobs and in like any sort of mere term from where we are first of all is like very self-serving to the technology industry because yeah. it's kind of like invest in us because you, you know yeah and, but not accurate like I mean it's, it's not at all in fact productivity has gone up much more slowly the last 20 years so it's just it's ironic if we were actually doing amazing stuff like we claim productivity rates would have just been skyrocketing right. and they're not so that's for one and the second and then the second thing is like it's like I wish productivity was going up and things like healthcare because then we can freaking afford to have healthcare for everyone. Exactly. We can't because it's not. So it's like the opposite problem. Yeah, I think the other thing. I mean, there's, there's two angles to me. Like one is you know I like to talk a lot about like AI, artificial yes. artificial intelligence, because I think yes. that's huge. Which is how do you use ML things like that to make humans way more productive and create great jobs? But yes. this whole like and all the jobs go away. It's not only that I think it's self serving, but I also I wonder if you agree with this or not. I actually think it's like kind of childish. Um, on the part of Silicon Valley. It, it feels a little bit to me like there's, you have a bunch of Silicon Valley people, well-intentioned, but they're like, it becomes this thing you're like lording over the rest of the world, being like, ah, like we quote-unquote won, we built all these great companies, and now we're going to take away all the jobs. So like, yeah. this like fear nexus. I think, I, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's a very childish attempt at policy. I think it's actually religious in nature is part, is part of my view on this. And so if you go back in America when you've had a bunch of these different generations that each think the Messiah is going to come, there's a bunch <laughs> of people who will go way down the hill and we all kind of mock them for thinking the Messiah is there. And, and AI is kind of our current version of that Messiah, yeah, yeah. right? The, that Messiah is coming and yes. everything is going to be different when the Messiah comes and, and it's revelations and of history. And, and it may be the case that there's an AI Messiah coming. I tend to think it's like a lot farther away than everyone in the Valley thinks. Yeah. All my friends working at AI tell me that the Messiah is going to be here in 20 years and the world's going to be completely different. And, and if that's the case, you know, let's argue about... Let's argue about what that world looks like when the Messiah comes. And I, I promise you, Jobs is not going to be the first thing we're thinking about <laughs> when we're all like in this shared consciousness that we're melding together. And yeah. It's just it's stupid, right? So, yeah. it's, so there's two separate things, and I think they conflate them. I completely agree. And it is interesting how a lot of, I mean, technologists generally, again, massive generalization, but like there's a high correlation between technologists and atheists. But 
a lot of this stuff ends up sounding pretty religious when you draw out the line. Well, they don't, they don't have their own religion, so they need... They, make, they invent one. They reinvent the so wheel. This is a reinvented religion. It's a very <laughs> simplistic thing, and then they're taking the Messiah concept and applying it in there. Yeah, no, so, so I listen, but I think, I think it is coming from a very good place. I think we have this very progressive left idea of wanting to help people and being worried about people. Yeah. And, and it definitely serves those ends to believe this is necessary. I think I think it comes though from not understanding basic economics either. And that, that, that's that's where a lot of it really worries me is is how bad our economic literacy is and this group of people who are creating all this wealth. I agree. I, and it's an interesting I mean I think the other thing is is it kind of and again, this comes from a place where, like you, I have a lot of respect for some of the efforts going on to study UBI. I think again, the Give Directly guys are doing amazing work. There's a lot of good stuff going on globally yeah, around this My, my stuff. wife gave to Give Directly before I knew her, so we, we have it's a, awesome. So, like, I think this is all wonderful, but I do also think there's this kind of like, it almost feels like with some of this stuff, it's like, oh crap, there's no end to the end of inequality. Like technology and globalization, actually probably right now more globalization than technology, but both are going to continue to drive inequality. And this is like the easy yeah. out to some degree. This is like another, this is like a dangerous topic, but I am not convinced inequality is a bad thing at all. Yeah, that I is think, a dangerous I think, topic. I think, I think, <laughs> I mean, historically, historically the reason you had growth is because you had people who are able to save enough wealth to invest it and build and create mm-hmm. things. And so this is, this is again, back to like basic economics, but you need, you need some people who have large amounts of wealth to do certain things. And sure. so I am really glad Mark Zuckerberg exists and that he's putting $3 billion in a really intelligent way that no bureaucrat would ever do because sure. it's too risky into what he's doing to help cure cancer and help do these cure diseases. And, and like, thank God he exists versus like, if, if you say, oh, well, all the money should just be captured by the government, the government already runs trillions of dollars in endowments and bureaucracies. You really think they need that little extra money. Yeah. It's, just, it's ridiculous. So, so I, I think some form of inequality. I, now, inequality is bad when it hurts the bottom and hurts opportunity for the people on the bottom. And Absolutely. That's, that's a, that, to me, that's more about helping the bottom. It's not about inequality. So that's, that's I start to I quibble on that. That's completely fair. But I do think that maybe not around the Mark Zuckerbergs of the extreme wealth USB chair. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah, um, well, they, I actually think it's good. I mean, people think it's disgusting to have that much wealth. I think it's great. I think the fact he created that is really uh, good. Well, I think the reality is, is like take out the true extremes and like true philanthropists, of which there are many yeah. in the area. I think there is a lot of people who have made a lot of money um but maybe not at that level right yep. like and you know they're generally liberal right yep. and they're engineers at lots of great places and like honestly there is a level of guilt that i think people feel i refer left to liberal because liberal historically means Fair. pro-freedom which Fair. i very much identify it's <laughs> <laughs> true it's the this stuff gets pretty confusing over it the history who's conservative, conservative who's liberal who uses what terms but i mean here, here's the here's the other kind of core Misunderstanding that I think is really dangerous. I think so. So I, I always, I always admire places like Bridgewater. They're very clear thinkers, and they always go back to the very basic facts in order to understand the situation. You kind of start off at case one and you iterate from there. And so you start off at our economy and you iterate. Let's go back to like we're all farmers, right? Yep. And and we're all farming, and we have, and it takes twenty people to feed twenty one people. So in some forms, you'll have some like kings or whatever, and they take advantage of us, and they sure. a few of them can live without working too hard, and maybe their job is to protect us if they're a good king, and maybe they're actually just, just just taking advantage of us. But but basically, you have new technology comes along, and suddenly you can have only only like fifteen to eighteen people or whatever farm for everyone farm for the twenty one people, and you have two to five people freed up. Yep. And 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 there are a lot of cases in history where people would like kill the person trying to bring new technology because what's going to happen to those people who can't farm for a living anymore there's nothing for them to do I mean, right. look at society nothing for them to do and, and, and that and that's the attitude I'm, I'm, I'm seeing I mean, you played for obviously it was a really good thing because that created 
all these, I mean, you had all this art never would have existed. You had all these merchants and all these services and all these new ways of, yeah. of helping everyone else, new ways of adding to society. Right. And, and, and it's the fundamental unit. It's always how much can you produce per person in certain sure. areas. And, and people just miss that. And it drives me crazy that they miss that. Yeah. I do think there are other, I mean, there's, there's great examples of this even modernity. Like my favorite is people always bring up like massage therapist. If you unwind, like, 70 years and told people there was such a thing as a massage therapist as a job. I mean, they, like, they think it was perverted, probably. Yeah, probably almost but, certainly, right? Yeah. But, um, but I think there is an interesting... I mean, I'm also worried a little bit, which is, is tangentially mm-hmm. related about the fact that we've gone through this huge wave of technology which mm-hmm. increased the production of things. We're now in this wave of technology where I think a lot of the biggest technical loops is about increasing the efficiency of the things we have. And so the question is, do you actually talk about the, what the new opportunities are or how people interact? It's like, Actually, there's an argument that the, the formal economy, right, at least the dollar-dollar economy, is going to shrink, right, with the, a bunch of the technology that is very real and it's going to well, like, well, it's it's very, Airbnb it's very is deflationary. It's very deflationary right. for a lot. Facebook is deflationary. Airbnb is deflationary. Uber should be deflationary. Like, there's a lot of these things. And so the question is... We're going to use our resources more efficiently. Right. Yeah. So we, we don't need... We're not... We don't need more... It's very pro-environment, of course. Very, it should be, right? Like, yes. build less stuff, exactly. right? We um, can just we, we utilize all, it more. Exactly. Um, so there is an interesting thing, though, which is going on, which is like, it's not like you just have increasing wealth or inequalities. You have increasing inequality and deflation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a different story. And you also have this question of, yes, we, we can all go out and theoretically create art, right, in some form, or like, you can be new jobs. But, you know, right now you have a bunch of Americans who are tied into the Protestant ethic of, like, work is good and work demonstrates your holiness in some way, shape, or form. And right? I... And I, and I I don't even think it's the, I think the process that I think helped encourage even harder work, but I think there is something into, natural to being human to we're working and creating and building and having something you're doing is healthy. I think it is a healthy thing. I so here's where I here's where I think I differ with a lot of the popular view on this. I, I actually think there are literally a thousand times more jobs for our society that like, yeah. that, 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 that we could be doing right now. So I think literally. You, you can get rid of like every single job and we could all work and you get rid of all those jobs and we could all work more. And, and then the reason is is there's just so many, the reality is so rich and there's so many ways to improve our lives and to serve others and to serve ourselves. Like in, 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 in Judaism, there's this concept I really like to, to come along where, uh, yeah, where, where your job is to work towards fixing the world. And, and the point is that the world, of course, is never going to be fixed. And so for me, a lot of the work, a lot of the work we do with our fund, I'm not going to say that I'm a perfect person and that I don't mess up or focus on things that aren't worth focusing on sometimes, but a lot of what we try to strive towards is investing and working on things that are fixing the world yeah. in some way. And, and and you can't tell me there's not so many things for everyone to work towards to fix. And and, and, and it turns out a lot of those you could do in a, func- in a functional business-like way. And there's a way businesses you could use to, to create. Because when, when you're fixing the world, you're serving others. And so there's and, that, and so if you look at all these businesses that, that, that you actually can turn into businesses to serve others, it's just like the world's not going to be fully fixed at any time in the next, in our lifetimes. So there's always going to be work to do. Amen. I think the question, I mean, like, what I... Fervently agree with you. And like, you know, one of the things we focus on at Finn, which is a company I'm working on building, right, is, you know, with AI is like, we're very committed to this idea that one, everyone should have assistance in the things they're doing. And two, we should be able to create incredible jobs for people by taking a lot of the computer work that things we can be automated. You automate it, you give leverage, you create a lot of awesome jobs. Like we're, exactly. We're yeah. trying to do that. But the interesting thing I wonder about in this kind of model you have and what we're talking about is like, yes, there's an infinite, there's a ton of jobs. But what about access to those jobs? Like it used to be that like if you had a high school degree and you know two hands, right, you could go out and get a pretty good job because there was value, and that 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 is going away. So skilled skilled 
skilled labor is necessary. So right now, right now there's over 5 million jobs, I, I believe, in the U.S. economy that there, we need for basic skilled labor you can learn within one to three years and that people don't have because we don't have that. And so that's really necessary. I, th- I think I think this is where you get to the point, like, what should the policy be to help with this? And there's, for me, for me, it's, for me, it's two things. One is the flexibility of the economy because there are so many more ways to fix the world. You have to make it really easy to start businesses. You have to make it really easy to fund mm-hmm. businesses. Um, you have to make it really easy for people to move to participate in economies. So, so this is where no more no more huge jumbo loans. You get stuck in your house and got well. That's there. that's that's <laughs> that's very tough. I agree. There's, but but I think more than that even is and it's ironic. There are three cranes out the window here in San Francisco as we as we sit here. All but, on one building. Though. But yeah, that is, that is the problem. It's all Mark Benioff's <laughs> ego that is getting built right here next to us, which is very impressive. I have to say that it is quite a large. You can see it from anywhere. Quite a large manhood that he's putting up at the tallest building in the city. But my <laughs> point was going to be that we're not building nearly enough in the city right now, and it's yeah. ridiculous. And 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 if you are a a typical person who's not very well off, who's ambitious and wants to learn and wants to be part of our economy, guess what? You may be out of luck because it's too expensive to come here, So, which I think is disgusting. I mean, the whole point of a city was the, the bottom of economically of society comes and works their way up, and you can't do that anymore. So so for me, that is like the most important thing is this anti-nimbyism thing that we could fix and making it possible to access this. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because it's interesting that you, you, you I wonder if you would have predicted unwinding the clock 10 years even. Um that cities still matter so much for that, right? Because in the end of the day, like, in a globalized world, we have the internet that are, uh, like, you know, you should be, like, you know, it, it's an interesting fact that, to your point, it still matters, You've right? got to be part, yeah. No, I think there's something, I think there's a lot, something a lot more complex about the human mind and human brains and human interaction that's really hard to, to emulate perfectly with technology from a distance. And I think with VR and AR get to be just absolutely amazing, maybe at some point in the next two or three decades... Um, you know, at that point, maybe maybe you start to break the model of the city a little bit really quickly. But I think for now, we absolutely need it. Maybe, but I think that kind of flips out on like the VRAR. So I was talking with someone this morning, completely unrelated topic, mm-hmm. but relevant about how I mean, you still have the fundamental speed of light issue, right? And the, the reality is, is like you know, in the end of the day, centralized systems are actually almost always more efficient than decentralized yep. systems. Well, you have to have a reason you want to be decentralized. We well, right? have to make yeah, no, that's true. But I mean. Well, the reason would be if nimbyism is just so strong in 20 years and the technology is so good that we decide to do right, it. Right, there's a margin you hack effectively where you and, accept the latency. And, and, this, and, and this, by the way, is why I'm very interested in some of the transportation stuff, like obviously Hyperloop One, which is a very cool company. Uh, there's all this electric VTOL stuff that's going on. You've yeah. probably been watching where, you know, you know, I, I saw a great presentation by the guy who runs Lilium in, in Europe and I'm invested in Joby Aviation here and they're both talking about how just like the horse to the car extended your range, like the car to this electric VTOL thing also extends your range, which is... Yep. Absolutely amazing, and, and so so I, I, I actually hope we have something within ten years. There's something like the Hyperloop or that that gets us 150 miles that way, like right away, and you have a lot more middle class housing around here. And that that would be a big part of it. Yeah. But the, but then, and then the second part, which we didn't get to talk about, I'm curious what you think. Um, I, I everyone talks about education, and education is necessary, and I, I've been actually studying a lot lately, like why I think education is so broken, and I am pretty disgusted by how we fund and incentivize educational institutions in this country. I think their incentives is completely broken. Have you looked into this? Um, to some degree, but I wouldn't know. You're certainly more an expert than me. Why don't you tell me a little bit about, like... So the, so the main thing is, let's, let's focus on the very high end at first, like, uh, but not high enough. Let's focus on the on the post, post-high school, you know, college, vocational school, that type of thing. Every one of these schools... Um, is paid for by the government to get as many students as possible and to qualify to get as many students as possible, especially the for-profit ones. And so so here's where the Obama administration was correct that there's a huge problem with the for-profit schools in America. They were incorrect the problem was because they were for-profit. 
it's actually offensive. Like a lot of these people don't understand business. For profit is a good thing. The incentives, however, were stupid. The incentives were to hire, get as many students as you can. Who cares if they graduate? Who, all you have to do is pretend to the bureaucrats that you're educating them. So you spend all your time trying to fake the government guys and make it look like you're doing a good job. Who cares what they actually do when they leave your school? So the way the way the incentives should work, if you actually care about the students and want to make it work, is you should have financial intermediaries with the government who give loans to the schools. The schools then get income share agreements with the students, and over the next twenty years, based on what students, you know, how the students do, they they succeed or not. And the schools educating well and getting people good jobs will grow. You know, this is the first company I ever tried to start. You an income share agreement company? Yeah, yeah, that's that great. Was, literally, what was it, what was it I was in two thousand one. It is called Life Capital. I still own the domain. Um, awesome. It's actually my favorite idea. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's the most important thing. And I, you you know, need to do this kind of thing to fix education. It's the only way to... It's aligned incentives. It's the only way to expand the good vocational schools and, and how the bad ones... There's schools still around that are like graduating 20-30% of students, literally, and the students come out, don't do well at all, and they're still around getting government funding yeah. because our incentives are so screwed up. It's, it's offensive. and, and peop, it, It's like I'm not, I'm not for things because they're for-profit. I'm for using... You need to have for-profit in order to allow innovation to win and have the winners win. You yeah. know? Well, in the end of the day, I think in the reality... the, the the thing that is very nice from my perspective about capitalism is that you kind of get what you measure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And in the exactly. end of the day, the, the, the beauty of like money is an API, right? Or mm-hmm. is like it's a standard unit of exchange which allows you to effectively make efficient trades. And when you don't have that rigor, there are wonderful organizations that are able to hold themselves accountable to clear metrics that align with value. But they, but they drift towards the incentives. But whatever, again, you are what you measure. So it's like, you know, any company I've ever seen and I, I think I've now seen more than zero, right? It's mm-hmm. like the, one of the most important decisions is what do you decide to value and how do you tie that back to fundamental how when, other people value When you, you were building Life Capital, were you thinking of doing it as a way of funding education or, or how, did it, how did it work? So, yes, that was the original plan. I mean, I, I, this, is a, this is a good non-podcast topic for you and me sometime. <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, look, I think my... my um, the quick version of Life Capital, which I never actually did. Uh, I never actually signed any agreements because we got right up to the line and decided that it wasn't time. And frankly, I was also like starting freshman year of college. It was like the first thing I tried to do. But I really, really believe in the concept. And what we were very focused on was like, look, really simple thing. If you're a company, mm-hmm. you have access to debt and you have access to equity financing. If you're an individual, you only have access to debt, right? Yep. You have no proxy other than that. And that creates a lot yep. of really bad outcomes because yep. the reality is, is it constrains your, your outcomes on the other end, right? Now, a few companies have tried this. Like Prosper tried this for a while. Like a, There was hilariously a very terribly named company called MyRichUncle.com that did this back in the day. Yale University did this with income sharing agreements. Like yeah, it's been they're, tried they're, a few they times. They executed it pretty badly, but yeah. It's never been executed well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the Yale president the other day was at this education conference and he was telling me that the original economists who designed it had great ideas and they screwed it up when they took it. It's, it yeah. is dangerous. So, I mean, just to put it out there, the three things you can get really wrong. One is it's going to encourage you to do STEM and certain skilled things and it's going to make things like history and, and uh, ethnic studies way, way, way more expensive, which maybe not everyone on our side should be doing ethnic studies, but you probably want some people doing that. So you have to figure out a way to, to still account for that. So yep. you shouldn't be for everything. Two, I think there's a huge gender problem if you're making money and pe- people might opt out of the workforce and women, maybe they want to have to work for some more. Well, I don't know if we should discourage people from doing that when they have big kids. And so that's, that's a more complicated question, but I definitely don't think we should, shouldn't fund men and women differently. And then, and then, and then finally, you probably want to adjust it for poor kids based on their parents' incomes because if you're trying to take a ownership in a cash flow of over 20 years, how someone does, the biggest correlation other than their major is their parents' income, and you probably don't want to discriminate against people yeah. whose parents have done as well. So, but there, there, there are ways to like 
to still account for these things and make it work better well, overall. Let's just say I had no idea you were interested in this idea. It's one of my yeah. favorites. So we have more to talk about yeah. on this because well, I, I agree that this is... We need innovation and education, and the only way to get that is with something like this, is my view. I think this is a major way. It, it, it does have to happen at some point. Um, and it's funny, when I was working on this, a lot of people said, this is a great idea in 20 years, and it's almost 20 go. years. <laughs> A lot of things were like that back in 2000, so um, that'll, that'll, that'll be fun. So that's interesting. So getting back to, like, jobs, though, I mean, I'm actually curious. So, like, I know this is really hard to say, but if you had to guess mm-hmm. 10 years from now, what are the big areas of job growth globally and in the U.S.? Like, what do you think they'll be? Because, like, you and I are both bulls on there being a lot more jobs, but it's not totally clear what they're going to be. I think there's going to be a lot of – I mean, there's a few obvious ones, right? There's a lot of things in – and health and human services and senior services and yeah. senior care. And that's just like, there's so much. And this baby, the baby boomer generation is like the most spoiled generation ever and through ruined everything, of course. And of course. Except for my parents, they're fine. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, my, my dad used to say, my dad passed away, but he always used to say, I don't understand why your generation is letting my generation fuck you so much. <laughs> well, no, it's ridiculous. We spend the vast majority of our money on old people and for some people. There's all these things there, right? But it's like, the, the so, I think, so, so I, I think there's a ton of stuff in senior services. That's one obvious one. I think there's going to be a lot more in like personalized, edu- personalized entertainment, personalized education, personalized Diamond services. Age. Yeah, but it's not going to be a pure AI doing it. There's like, no, of course. So for, so for one, of my, one of my favorite ideas that I think it's just like an example of what you could do with a whole new set of data and, and, and understanding of humanity is having personal coaches for certain mental and emotional things. So imagine if you, we can like much better understand the brain, that we can quantify how you reacted to certain things during the day and, and what and where you got angry, where you got prideful, yep. where, you, where, you, where you were unfair to someone in your own head. Everyone gets their know. own rabbi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a much, much more knowledgeable rabbi who has tools to, to yep. really understand, okay, what happened here? And let's walk through that. And, and what are we going to do next time that happens? And how are you, how are you going to become mentally stronger, mentally more capable? How are you going to deal with these, with these things? And, yeah. and so, so, so I think there's a lot more coaching. And, 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 then, and then I think there's just so much about like the richness of our experiences and the convenience of our experiences and how people interact with each other and handle things. I mean, just, this, is, this is a stupid example, but I mean, you're probably going to have a lot better sensors for everything. So the fact that it smells really badly outside your building for a block when I'm walking here, whatever, I don't really care that much. But, but as society gets wealthier, there's just lots of things like that we're going to be able to fix and figure out how to fix. There'll be companies to do it and sure. business models to do it. So there's just, there's just so many ways in which even though we're awesome compared to 200 years ago, we're still in like the dark ages and stone ages for so many industries in terms of, in terms of how we're going to advance. It's just, it's, just, it's just like if you can't figure out a way to fix the world, I think you're not very creative. And so there's just I mean, there's be so many jobs around all of these things. Yeah. No, I think I, I largely agree. And I, but I think that one of the things that I think brings us to that conclusion, which a lot of our friends in Silicon Valley might disagree with, is being very bullish about certain types of automation, but not buying into this full AI dream. Yeah, but, it, but again, if you buy into the full AI dream, like, it's like what are you doing anyway? It's like, yeah, what are you doing anyway? It's just like that. At that point, we've created the god. Yeah. And sure, if there is a god that comes to Earth, that, that, that that's a different conversation, you know? Yeah. So I, it's I, not a very I, useful one to have. No, you have to split it up into two. And it might be fun to sit down and say, what is the AI god going to do? And and are they going to let us live in simulations where we think we're still advancing, even though they figured out everything, or, or, or whatever? Yeah. Like who who knows? But but yeah, I think I think you got to split up those two conversations. Yeah. The best argument I recently heard, mostly joking from someone, but not completely, was this whole argument that we already live in the singularity, not because of you know the AI, the singular multi-universe 
type theories, but really simple because we basically do what the stock market tells us to do. <laughs> and it's mostly run by machines. That's funny. That's <laughs> funny. I think people overestimate the extent to which the the fundamental infrastructure run by machines. I agree that machines like price a lot of things quickly, but I still think there's like a lot of human intelligence to actually, at the end of the day, running things. No question. Well, dude, this is a good conversation. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Thanks for fun. coming and hanging. Appreciate it. We'll do it again sometime. We'll have to talk more about about financing education. Definitely. <laughs> See you, dude.